Hi, welcome everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor at LifePoint Church in our campus in Westerville. And so to everyone who's listening in from every campus and from people who are just tuning in maybe for the first time, grateful to have you listening in to our online service today. Uh, If you've been tracking with us, then you know we've been in a series called Labels. We've been looking through the book of Luke, and one of the things that you see in the book of Luke is that Jesus interacts with these people who are kind of on the fringes those most likely to be labeled. And during the month of May, we had everyone in our church read through the book of Luke together. And then in the month of June, uh, we had everyone pray Luke 10 2. That's the prayer that Jesus encouraged his disciples to pray, that pray that God would raise up workers for the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And in this season of this series, what we've been saying is that we now want to live it out. How do we, how do we live out the call to become workers for the field, that God would use our lives uh, to reach those on the fringes, those who are labeled by society, to help them see the beauty of the gospel? Well, I was thinking about that and putting this, you know, the sermon together today, and I was thinking about the fact that uh, in life, everyone has a point uh, where they think about what would happen if they won the lotto. Right? Maybe you see on TV that the lotto has now hit $500 million and you're like, man, I need to go buy a ticket. And you start daydreaming, what would I do if I actually won? And I think everybody has pretty much thought about that. Um, I have two daughters. One is Abigail. She's the oldest and the youngest is Carly. And, uh, you know, when they were little, uh, my wife and I uh, showed them the Disney movie Aladdin. You guys remember the old one that uh, uh, Robin Williams was a genie and, you know, just incredible movie. And uh, typically, you know, when we're sitting at dinner together, I'll ask questions. Most of the time, the questions are completely ridiculous. Sometimes there are serious questions that we ask, but that's, that's our time to gather. Well, not that long ago, I asked him this question. Uh, I said, girls, let me ask you this question. If you were out walking and you looked down and you saw a lamp and out popped the genie, the genie from Aladdin. And this genie asked you, what are your three wishes? And gave you the same deal that the genie did in Aladdin. What would you wish for? And my oldest, Abby, she immediately answered because she's an extrovert. And she, she always says whatever's on her mind just pops out immediately. And she says, well, I would ask for a million dollars. And I looked over at Carly and my youngest, who's an introvert. I said, Carly, what about you? Now, Carly Because she's an introvert, usually she likes to take her time to think out her answers, but not this time. What she said, it was as if she had already thought it through. She'd already been planning this for years. I said, Carly, what would you like? She goes, I would ask for Abby's million dollars. Abby had this look on her face like, why would you take my million dollars? And Carly just grinned. Listen. We're in this series, like I said, where Jesus interacted with those on the fringes. And I've been loving the series, just walking through how Jesus interacted with these people who would have been labeled. And we've found, as we've been in the series, these two different groups of people. You have the religious elites, and then you also have these rebellious people. And those two groups together, uh, you know, Jesus talks to them and tries to draw them in and shows them that they're both valuable for different reasons, that he loves them completely and wants them to have a relationship. I have noticed in my life that when I'm talking to people, whether they're super religious or super rebellious, everyone has thought about that question, like, what would I do uh, you know, if I hit the lottery or if I saw a genie who gave me three wishes? 
Um, I, I have been in life groups for the better part of 30 years, and so many times that icebreaker has been brought up, you know, what would you do? And um, here's what I found. Almost everyone at some point, whether they have three wishes or one, they're going to talk about some type of wealth. Now, of course, there are people who say, well, I want to have you know, health for the world. I want to get rid of cancer. And like, people say that. But ultimately, everyone kind of says, well, I would also want to have wealth. You ever thought about that? Why is that? Why is it that we gravitate towards that? And I think it's because we all want to have control over our lives. We want to feel like, oh, this gives me control over what I want to do or how I want to live or whatnot. That makes us feel secure. That's completely normal, I believe. But you know what I've never heard anyone say? Not one time in all the years. I've never heard anyone say, man, if I could have three wishes, I would want a deep and strong relationship with Jesus. I'd want to have a life of deep and rich faith. I'd want my faith to be so strengthened that no matter what came my way, I would have faith. I'd want a faith like the disciples have. Isn't it interesting that I, I've been in you know, 30 years of life groups, never heard anyone say that, but I also know through conversations with people and even internally what I feel in myself is that deep down, we all want that kind of faith. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey, whether you're on the beginning stage or you've been well into your journey, everyone wants to have a deeper faith. They wish they would have this deeper connection to God, this sense that God was in their life and that they could trust him with everything. And we can just imagine the benefits, right? That, that even when life gets hard, even when life becomes difficult, even when it throws all the storms our way, we have this rock solid faith, this trust in the Lord that just carries us through everything. And sometimes when we meet those people, we're like, man, I wish I had a faith like that. How do we get a faith like the disciples had? A faith that God used to transform the world. How do we get that kind of faith? Well, we're going through this series and, and we're now into uh, Luke chapter 18 and something happens here and a circumstance, a situation uh, where an interaction that, that, you know, three of the writers of the gospels wrote down, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this story is the story of the rich young ruler. And I'm gonna say just a few things to keep you tracking with me as I go. The first one is this, is that every person has an inner battle to face. If we're gonna have a faith like that, if we're gonna have a strong faith, we need to recognize that every person is gonna have an inner battle to face. What happens in Luke chapter 18 is understand Jesus has been on the scene for quite some time now. His ministry has grown to a point where he's heading into the final stretch, the last few chapters of his life, and he's now preparing his disciples for the next step that one day he's not gonna be there. And so he's teaching different things and parables and, and, and you know, challenging them in different ways. And right then this person comes up to him and here's what it says in verse 18 of Luke 18. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept for my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So here you have this moment where Jesus is, you know, in the middle of kind of teaching his disciples and this guy runs up. And if you read the other accounts, he runs up, falls on his knees in front of him and he's saying, hey, Jesus, 
good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you have to ask yourself, well, what kind of ruler is this? Most likely, he's a Jewish man who's the ruler of a synagogue. That means he is one of the religious elites. He's kind of risen up the social rank to become the leader of the synagogue in his community. On top of that, he is very wealthy, which means he's, he's uh, socially strong and he's economically strong in his community. He tells Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And isn't that a question that we all wanna know? If we could have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, wouldn't we ask him that question, hey, are we good? You know, are, is my eternity okay, right? Is it gonna be like really hot and sweaty or nice and breezy? Like what's, what's the future? We all wanna know that. This guy asks a question, but you, you have to remember the context, right? It was the religious elites who were rejecting Jesus. It were those religious elites, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees who were literally you know, trying to isolate Jesus and try to squash his ministry. But this guy was going against the grain. He was genuine, he wanted to know. Jesus says, well, you know, we'll keep the commandments. He doesn't name all the 10 commandments. He doesn't talk about God first, honor God, have no other gods before him, keep the Sabbath. He doesn't mention that. He's almost, it's like he assumes that this guy understands that. So he brings up the other commandments of how you deal with each other. And he says, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and the guy says, I've kept them all since my youth. Which you have to understand, that's a, that's a fundamental misunderstanding as to, as to how we reinteract with God. The first thing is he, he said to Jesus, good teacher. He immediately lowered Jesus to the status of a man. He's just a good man, a good teacher. He doesn't understand that this is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Son of God. He doesn't get that. He also thinks that maybe, you know, through his behavior, he's already done everything that's required. He misunderstands that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. So then Jesus kind of sees through all that and he says, well, here's what you need to do then. You got one thing you gotta do. I want you to sell everything, distribute it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And if you read the other accounts, he walked away. He walked away sad. Why? You know, when I said that every person's gonna have an inner battle to face, I think, I think you have to look at it and say, okay, with this guy, what mattered to him most? What was he willing to not give up in order to say yes to Jesus? And for him, it was his wealth. Jesus asked him, I want you to do this. Why? Because this is the thing that's enslaving this guy. This guy believes that this, his worldly wealth is what keeps him uh, you know, in a place where he feels secure and happy and whatever his dream is in life, he's achieved that and he's not given that up. He wants to add on to that and have eternal security. And so Jesus confronts that and says, no, that's not what it means to really know me, to follow me. You have to give that up, that thing for you. Now he doesn't ask everyone that, but he goes specifically to this guy. And you see that that's normal for God. God has a way of kind of, you know, challenging those things that we dream about. Things that, that we hang on to, that we're, we're unwilling to let go of, that even if Jesus asked us, you know, to go in a direction, and this is what held us back, we'd have a hard time giving that thing up, whatever it is. Remember the story of Abraham? How he promised that through Abraham, he would, he would be the, you know, have uh, uh, seeds that would bless the whole nation through his line of people. But he had no children. But God told him, I promise. And finally, he has Isaac. And God says, hey, are you willing to give up Isaac? I tell you why, because there's something in all of us. There's an inner battle, a battle for control, a battle for our dreams. And Jesus is going to challenge that in our life. 
You know, there's something about the passage, though, that, you know, has always uh, kind of challenged me personally. I, I got into ministry many years ago, um, and I, I remember the first ministry I was really involved in, I had been serving in a collegiate ministry at a church, and we were getting ready to go down to the campus of Ohio State University and start a church down there. And again, I was right at the beginning stages of ministry, and I was learning a lot. And uh, to, in order to get down to Ohio State's campus, we had to become a student organization. And every fall, they have an event called the Student Involvement Fair, and they hold it on the Oval at Ohio State University. If you've never been to Ohio State, the Oval is the place where uh, everyone kind of walks through to get to classes. So, you know, the whole university is built around the Oval, and everyone walks through there. And there, there's this huge place. It's wide open. There's all these pathways. And on the Student Involvement Fair, there's like 15 to 17,000 students walking around the Oval. So that particular time, we were there, and we were giving out information about our ministry that we were starting and our student organization. We were recruiting students, and I ran into this young guy named Craig. And uh, so I got to meet Craig, invite him to our life group, and I got to know him over the course of several weeks and uh, getting to talk to him about faith, and we started to hang out a little bit. And uh, one day, um, you know, he was asking questions like, what must I do to inherit eternal life, in essence? And I was just talking to him about the gospel, the beauty that God absolutely loves us and wants that for us. He wants a relationship with us. The problem is us, that we sin against God. And we all sin in some way, shape, or form. And we all have this system in our mind for what we think is good or bad, but deep down in our soul, we know, we know that there's something off. We know that there's shame and guilt in our life for something, right? We know it, and we know there's something that's messed up our relationship with God, which is why we wonder, are we good? But here's the thing, God sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin, all sin. Everybody's sin all at one time gets put onto Jesus on the cross. He pays for it all. He literally took our penalty, our death, so that anyone who would come to him in faith, in the humility of saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, anyone who comes to him with that kind of faith could be completely forgiven and giving, Jesus would give them his righteousness. That means Jesus is already right with God. He takes our penalty and then he offers us his righteousness so that we would be right with God. Not because we earned it, not because we did something great, simply because we received it as a gift from Jesus. I'm telling him this, we're sitting uh, in a car one night and he's just asking me question after question and I'm sharing this with him and he looks at me and goes, man, that's what I want. I said, are you sure? That's, that's what you want with your life. You wanna, you wanna come to Jesus? You wanna receive his grace and mercy? He said, yes. And he said, if I knew what to do, I would do it. You know, I prayed with Craig that night. I got to watch him walk through the, the line of faith to, to cross over from death to life, if you will. But I was struck as I was reading this passage because you know, every person who's in ministry, just we pray for these moments that where someone says, please help me find Jesus, please help me find faith. We, we, we want these moments, we pray, we seek them out. And here's a moment when this guy is coming to Jesus saying, I want this. I want this. But here's the thing it struck me, that Jesus isn't as concerned about this guy's desire as he is his heart. Jesus actually wants his heart. And look, he's not gonna compete with this guy's riches. And no matter what it is in our life that we wanna hang on to, Jesus doesn't compete with that. He wants our heart fully above all things. So then you have to ask yourself, well, man, it, this is... What he's asking him is tough. That's, that's my next line I wanna share with you is for some people, it's gonna seem like Jesus is asking the impossible. Verse 24, 
Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So if there's a crowd of people watching this thing, this guy had come up and he said, what must I do? And Jesus tells him, hey, do this and this and you know, get rid of all your stuff, give it to the poor. Like essentially love God, be willing to sacrifice for God and I want you to love people. That sums up all the commandments. Give to the poor, love the people. Everything that God commands, right? He's saying, I want you to do this. And the guy walks away sad. And Jesus makes a statement, how difficult it's gonna be for those who have worldly wealth. It'd be easier to go for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, right? Than for a rich person to become saved. And then they say, well, well who can be saved? In essence, these people who are watching are looking at and going, man, if I was that guy, I wouldn't do it. Man, if I had all that he had, I wouldn't do it. I mean, how is anyone supposed to do that? How is anyone supposed to give up what we all want? We all want security. We all want to feel like we're in control of our life. We all want you know, to be able to buy and sell and have and have security and provide for our kids and, and for maybe the next generation. We all desire that. How are we supposed to give all that up? That's not normal. That seems impossible. How then can anyone be saved? And that's the reality. Jesus says, well, it's really nothing for me. <laughs> it might be impossible for you, but, you know, hold my nails. Watch what I can do, right? This is the thing about Jesus, that he's basically saying it's only with God that you can receive salvation. Only God can do that miracle in someone's heart. And so, yes, for this guy, it was money, but everybody has a thing. And I've met people from all different walks of life. I remember one guy, uh, he, I explained the truth to him. I'd spent much time with him explaining the Bible and we talked through all his questions of faith. And at the end of it, he said to me, he goes, Ed, I, I think if what you're saying is true, everybody should be a believer. I said, what about you? He says, oh, oh, not me. I said, why not? He goes, well, if I became a believer, if I followed Jesus, then I wouldn't be able to live the life I want. And so for him, it wasn't the worldly wealth, it was the lifestyle to be able to do what you want, say what you want, act like you want, drink what you want, party like you want, you know, those things were more important to him than to follow Jesus. It's gonna be impossible for some. It's gonna feel that way. But what's crazy is that it's, it's no work at all for the Lord, for anyone who wants to come to him. I say this, you know, I think that for someone who's a Christian, Christians struggle with something almost across the board. They, they struggle to share their faith with others, especially in this culture where, you know, if you, if you say something, you say the wrong thing, you just, you get canceled, you get yelled at, you feel like you're going to be rejected, and, and maybe you struggle with that. I ran into a guy one time who, who lived in Zanesville, and uh, he was kind of an agriculture guy. Uh, you know, he wouldn't be the kind of guy you expect to be this really winsome Christian who people just found Jesus when they were around him. And uh, he had been, you know, over the course of, of a year or so, he had been just kind of uh, continuing to share his faith in his circle of people in Zanesville. And about 20 people had come to faith. And I asked him, you know, and I was with some people, I said, well, tell me what it is you're doing. He goes, well, I would just, I go out and I sit on a bench, I talk to people, I hang here, I do this there, and I just talk to people about Jesus. And, 
and some people give their life to Jesus. And someone who I was with said to him, well, doesn't, like, how do you overcome your fear? How do, like, how do you get over the discomfort of all that? And he said, you know what? In eternity, we're gonna be comfortable for a long time. I'm not concerned with my discomfort here. I bring that up because, you know, our hearts gravitate towards comfort. Our hearts gravitate towards things that make us feel safe and in control. And we believe that the truth of the story is that anyone who would come to Christ receives this incredible gift of faith. But to share that with others means we have to risk our discomfort. And the reality is, I think we look at people and we think, even if I say something, it's not gonna matter. Like that person's not gonna turn their, their life to Jesus. That person's wealthy. That person has it all. That person's successful. That person is hardened. That person's in a different lifestyle. That person, and we, we just, in our minds, we make up in our minds that it's just impossible that they would actually listen to what I'm saying. It's because we've stopped believing that Jesus can do the impossible. Can I tell you something? Is it true that when you share your faith that there are gonna be a lot of people who reject it? Yes, that is absolutely true. Isn't it true that it's unlikely that when we share the seeds of faith that we're gonna see that blossom into in, you know, just someone receiving Christ and having an incredible faith? Yes, that is unlikely that we see that. Our job is not to worry about what God does. God does the impossible. Our job is to share the message, to, to sow seeds wherever we can. And there are times when we might get to see God do something with that. But God always uses those words of the gospel. He always does it. And you have to understand God can do the impossible. I have met people who were as far from God as they can be who are now following God. I have witnessed people in my own lifetime, people who have turned from, from you know, complete atheism to complete joy in Christ. I have witnessed that and I believe God can do anything. But sometimes I start to feel that discomfort. Why? My heart gravitates towards discomfort. It's because I've stopped believing that God can do the impossible. But God can. All right. Well, I want to have that kind of faith. I don't want to gravitate towards, dis or towards comfort and, and miss out on what God has for my life and what he wants to do through my life. I don't want to have the kind of faith that, that gravitates towards, well, I have to have this thing. This is what my life's about. I want wealth or this or that. I, I don't want to gravitate. I want to have this faith like the disciples did, where, where I sense God working in and through my life. I, I feel his peace and his love and his joy and his, his patience and kindness and his goodness and his gentleness and self-control. I want to feel all that in my life and spill it out on others. I want to have the kind of faith that no matter what comes my way, I just, I'm strong in the word of God, strong in the faith of God. I want, I want that in my life. How do I get that? Well, this is the last thing I want to share is that look closely at Peter because he holds the key. Now remember, this guy has come up and has interaction with Jesus and he's gone. And Jesus says, look, it's, it's difficult for some people. It is impossible. It's gonna feel that way. And here's what happens in verse 28. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. It's interesting, Jesus makes a promise here that look, if you've sacrificed for me, 
If you've given something up for me, you're going to receive more in this life. Now, he doesn't say what that is. He doesn't say, you're going to hit the lotto. You're going to have perfect health. You're going to have perfect prosperity. He doesn't promise any of that. In fact, if you read through the other gospels, this story, he actually says, you'll receive also some hardship. You're going to receive that in this life. He doesn't promise what it is. He's saying, look, you're going to receive more in this life than you've ever given up. But in eternity, <laughs> he's saying you're going to receive much more to come in eternity. Now, we don't know what that is. We, we talked about that last week um, at our campuses. We talked about, uh, you know, this whole concept of, of eternity and how we cannot fathom what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know what that is. But in this life, in this life, those who have a deep faith experience things that they would say are more important to them than anything they could have earned on a spreadsheet, on a finance sheet, on a lottery ticket. Faith, a deep, rich faith. People who, you know, Peter would say, Peter would say in his own letter that he wrote that faith is more valuable than fire-tried gold. Find the most pure, the most valuable thing we have on the planet, Beautiful fire trickle, no, no flaws. And he's saying faith is more important, more valuable than that. How do you get that kind of faith? Well, look at what Peter said. We followed you. You know, remember what he said in verse, in verse 22. He said to the, to the rich young ruler, he says, come follow me. Leave all that behind. Give it away and come follow me. There's an invitation. Just follow me. Now, he says, Peter says, well, we've, we followed you. He didn't even know what Jesus was promising. He didn't even know what this, this eternal gift is. He doesn't know what these rewards are. He just followed Jesus. That's the key. It really is that simple. It is taking a step. Every time Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Follow me in this as I lead you in this. If, I, if I'm asking you to do this, just take a step and follow me. That's what it takes. That's the key to having a rich and deep faith is simply responding to the Lord and following him. You know, I think Christians, it's really easy for us to kind of boil down what it means to be a Christian into like a series of truths that we believe in. You know, we, we believe in, you know, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he became a man. We believe that he died and was buried and he rose again. We believe that uh, when you give your life to Jesus, he forgives you of your sin. Like, we believe certain truths and certain uh, things, doctrines about the word of God we believe, and that's what makes us a Christian. But you know that Jesus isn't asking us just to believe certain things. He's asking us to follow him, to become Christ's followers. That's what he's asking of our heart. And here's the thing. Everyone who's listening in, no matter if you're at the beginning of your journey or deep into your journey with God, it doesn't matter where you're at. Every one of us has the faith to take a step. It doesn't matter where you're at. I wrote down a couple things I was thinking about. Like, you know, a lot of us struggle uh, to surrender you know, people who, I, I've met people who are like, you know what, I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus. Tell me why. Well, I have this lifestyle. I have this. And well, I don't know all the information. There might be more information out there. But when they hear the message, it convicts their soul and they know it's the right thing to do, but they struggle to surrender. But everyone has the faith to surrender. You simply say, I'm going to I'm gonna take my life and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm pushing this over here and saying, Jesus, this was my life. Please take it. I'm sorry. 
I'm repenting of that. I don't want my life to be just about me, and I want to embrace you. That's just a simple step of faith of receiving the good news of the cross, that Jesus died for you, paid the penalty for you, that you can receive his grace and mercy. That's what that means. You turn to him and say, I want to follow you, Jesus. That's a simple step. All of us have the faith to take that step. You can have the faith of a child to take that step. I think for other people, it's a step of baptism. You know, I've met people who, who say, well, I, I'm a follower of Christ, but they're afraid to get baptized. Why is that? And I, I meet people, well, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be up in front of people. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people staring at me. I don't want to make a spectacle of myself. And I don't, I don't want to go against my parents because they believe something different about baptism. And people, they get clammed up and they stop taking that step. And let me tell you something. It's a simple step. It's a step of obedience. Jesus said, hey, I want you to go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all the things I've commanded. Baptism is a first step that we take as followers of Christ. If you've never taken that step, you have the faith to do that. You can take that step. I was thinking about how uh, a lot of people struggle with forgiveness, that you know, there are people who've hurt them. And I admit, that is difficult. There are times when, you know, when I think about what people have done to me, as people have misused me or treated me, and I, I get mad or angry, and I think, but I know that I have the faith in God to forgive them. I have the faith in what Christ has done for me on the cross to forgive them. This isn't about them. This is about something that's happening between me and God. And when God asks me to forgive them, it's a simple step of faith to say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna forgive them because of you. Where are you at with that? Are there people in your life that you're struggling to forgive? I'm not talking about having a, 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 you know, a restoration in your relationship. That's a separate step altogether. I'm talking about in your heart, just being willing to say, all right, I'm gonna forgive this person. I think generosity is one. It's interesting that in this story, it was a rich young ruler. This guy was wealthy, and Jesus is kind of calling that out. But I think for us, we have the steps of faith in us. We have enough faith to take a step in generosity. What does that mean? Look. We gravitate towards comfort and control, right? And money represents comfort and control. That's sometimes our God, if you will. And Jesus say, no, I wanna be the God of your life. I wanna be the one you follow, not that. And sometimes the easiest step of faith we can take is say, you know what, I'm gonna give up control over this. I'm gonna use what God has given me to bless others. I wanna love God and I wanna love people. And one of the ways I can do this is to take a step of faith. And for some of you, that's a step of faith you need to take is learn to become generous. Look, there are so many things that God might be asking us to follow him in. As Jesus says, come follow me, that there are times when he's asking us, I need you to give up this relationship. I need you to give up this sin. I need you to add this thing. Like There are just times when we sense the Holy Spirit telling us, I want you to follow me. We all have the steps. We just have to have the faith to take one step at a time. The key to having a deep and rich faith is to take a step. Wherever you're at, here's what I wanna to say to you. Jesus said to that young man, come follow me. He could have said it this way, come all those who are weary and find life burdensome. Take my yoke upon you, for my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're tired of trying to live life your way, trying to be in control of your life, if you're tired of trying to like, make sure that everything is gonna work out and when the storms of life come your way, you, just, you feel even more anxious and have more worry, it's time to take a step of faith. Come and place your faith 
in Jesus. Wherever you're at, I just want to kind of lead you in a prayer. Take a second, kind of close your eyes and, and talk to the Lord. Is there an area of your life that you sense the Lord is asking you to take a step? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell him, God, I hear you. God, help me to surrender that to you. Help me to take a step of faith this week. Maybe for some, it's I'm gonna share my faith with someone. I'm gonna invite someone to church. Maybe if that's you, just talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, give me the courage to take a step this week to invite someone to church. Maybe pray and say, God, give me a step. Make it clear and help me to have the courage to, to give something to you know, support somebody, to, to invite someone to dinner, to share with them, to, to give up, to forgive, whatever it is, talk to the Lord. And I just wanna address that if you're listening, you've never taken the step of first surrender. This is what that means for you. Simply say to God, God, I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe that he rose from the grave. Today, I'm asking you, Jesus, will you please forgive me? Forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you, Lord, Will you come into my life and lead me? Help me to take that step of faith today, Lord. You need to know that little step of faith, that little step of faith is a step that makes you right with God. To have eternal connection with God through that little step of faith because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let me pray for all of us. Father, I pray that you would uh, use our lives for something bigger than just ourselves. that we would have the kind of faith, Lord, that you could use to change the world. Help us to learn uh, to build that faith one step at a time, that you would grow that in us. God, whatever that step is today, God, give us a, just a sense of um, just clarity that we know what the step is and we would take it. And God, for those who are taking a first step with you, I pray you would meet them where they're at and help them to grow. And we ask all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just wanna say thanks again for listening in online today. Uh, we're gonna worship and Dean's gonna have some words to close, but I just wanna encourage you uh, to take that step, whatever the Lord's put on your heart this week. Till next time, God bless.